The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Grace and peace to you this morning. It is a beautiful day to be gathered here as God's body to worship Him and to um, study some of His Word. And we are involved in a new study this morning on the book of Acts. And so we want to begin with a reading from Acts chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can, begin, you can look at Acts chapter 1 beginning in verse 6 or look up at the screen. Luke records this for us. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Are we there yet? Those are four words that every parent dreads to hear. And we've all been there. We load the car. We get everything we need. We set out on a long trip and not very far down the road, we hear it. Are we there yet? And it doesn't matter how you answer that question. Because it is not going to satisfy the one asking. After a few more miles, they're going to ask the same question. Are we there yet? And this is how the book of Acts begins. The apostles have been longing for God to restore the kingdom to Israel. They were expecting the Messiah to be a king like David. They were expecting an uprising where they would break free from the Roman government and Israel would be a great nation once again. And they thought this dream was over after Jesus was crucified. But he has risen from the grave. He is alive and he is standing in their midst. And, that, and now they want to know, are we there yet? Is it time for God to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus must feel like that parent who has set out on a long trip and just a couple of miles into it 
The kids are already asking, are we there yet? They don't really understand what is going on. And if you were to try to explain it to them, it wouldn't help anyways. So Jesus simply says, it's not for you to know. And Jesus probably feels like this more than we would like to admit. As followers of Jesus, we want to know what is going on. We want an answer for everything. We often try to explain things that cannot be explained. We try to speak where God has not spoken. We are following Jesus, but we are asking all the wrong questions. It's not for us to know. There are some things that only God knows, and we should simply leave it at that. Thankfully, Jesus is patient. He doesn't turn his followers away because their doctrine concerning the kingdom is all wrong. He doesn't kick them out because they have a misunderstanding of what it means to be Messiah. He is gracious and he is kind. And like a loving parent, he gently redirects their focus. The truth is that Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is about to ascend to his throne and the world is going to be turned upside down. It's not going to play out the way the apostles think it is going to play out. There will be hardship, there will be persecution, and there will even be death. They will be beaten, thrown into prison, and kicked out of towns. And yet this movement will spread like nothing before. It will command the attention of kings and philosophers. It will change people's lives in miraculous ways, and it will turn the world upside down. How does this movement begin? What is the foundation that it rests upon? As Luke begins to lay out the history of the followers of Jesus, he identifies certain principles that were essential to the success of this movement. These are principles we need to pay attention to. If we're going to turn our world upside down, if we're going to make a difference in the communities in which we live, then these are things we need to be doing as a church. And so where does it all begin? It begins with vision. The layout for the entire book of Acts is given to us in verse 8. In Acts 1 and verse 8, we read this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The disciples have a plan. They know where they are going. They are going to begin in Jerusalem. This is where Peter will preach his famous sermon on the day of Pentecost. Thousands will be converted. But this is just the beginning. From there, they're going to go to Judea and then Samaria and finally to the ends of the earth. This is the plan. This is the vision. And this is what they will do. And it seems impossible 
how can a small group of individuals without any wealth or without any power carry their message to the ends of the earth? And yet this is exactly what happened. And one of the reasons it did was because they had vision. They knew where they were going and they believed in the power of their message. They dreamed big and those dreams were realized. If we are going to turn the world upside down, then we must have vision. We need to know where we are going. The early church had vision. Although they began as a handful of believers, they envisioned carrying their message all over the world. Without a vision, we won't get anywhere. Without a vision, we are satisfied with things just the way they are. We are satisfied with the status quo. Without a vision, we will never turn our world upside down. This is perfectly illustrated in a scene from Alice in Wonderland where Alice has a conversation with a cat. And Alice says to the cat, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? Well, that depends a good deal on where you want to go, where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. So long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an afterthought. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat. If only you walk long enough. What is our vision? What is our vision as a church? What is your vision as an individual Christian? What is your vision for your family? If we don't have a vision, then we will end up going somewhere, but who knows where that will be? Our life will not have a purpose. We will never accomplish any goals. We will mindlessly wander from place to place, always traveling, but never getting anywhere. The faithful people of God in the Bible always had a vision. Abraham walked this earth his entire life with a vision. He was searching for the city whose builder and founder is God. What are you searching for? What are you passionate about? What are you doing with your life? The early church had very little. But the one thing they did have was vision. They knew whom they believed in. And they knew where they were going. They had a vision as big as their faith. And if we're going to be like the early church, and if we're going to change the world for the better, then we must have a plan and a vision for the future. After we are given this outline of the book of Acts in verse 8, something incredible happens. It is described in just one verse, but it is a magnificent event. In Acts 1-9, Luke records, And when he, Jesus, had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, 
and a cloud took him out of their sight. We speak a lot about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. But another important aspect of his life is the ascension. This is where Jesus takes his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. In his death, Jesus makes forgiveness of sin possible. In his resurrection, he overcomes death. In his ascension, he takes his place on his throne. And so the ascension points to the lordship of Jesus. He is the ruler of this universe. This event is of great importance because it is a reordering of how people thought of the world in which they lived. There were many people who claimed to be king. Herod claimed to be king of the Jews. Caesar claimed to be emperor of the Roman Empire. And these, these kings claimed to have power, and often they did. They could tax people. They could go to war. They could have someone put to death. However, after the ascension... The early church acknowledged only one Lord and King, and that was Jesus. They not only acknowledged this fact, but they proclaimed it everywhere they went. And this single event reordered their entire lives. When Paul gives a description of the life of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, he concludes with the ascension and the fact that one day Jesus will return and every person will acknowledge his lordship. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, ev that so that the, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Acknowledging the lordship of Jesus rearranges all of our priorities. What was once important now takes a back burner. The most important thing becomes Jesus. This radical change happened to the early church. They devoted themselves to following Jesus. They stayed in Jerusalem even though they had responsibilities back home. They sold their possessions. They helped others. They shared the good news. When we make Jesus Lord of our life, everything should change. This foundation should prepare us to do incredible things. 
Knowing Jesus is Lord of all things gives us a hope that others do not have. It prepares us to enter a challenging world and make a difference. We have an anchor like no one else. We know what no one else knows. We are ready to turn the world upside down. Finally, the early church made a difference because they devoted themselves to prayer. In Acts 1.14, we read this. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. I sometimes wonder if we really know the power that prayer holds. If we did then I think that we would pray more often. Immediately after Paul's description of the armor of God, he says, pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. Paul understood the importance of prayer. He began his letters with a prayer. He prayed for individuals and churches in many locations. He devoted himself to prayer. As followers of God, prayer should be a part of our DNA. It should be as necessary as breathing. Because of the blood of Christ, we are able to boldly approach God's throne. But this does not mean that we should take prayer lightly. It is serious business. It is not something we simply check off our list It is more than an opening and closing part of worship. It is communication with the Almighty. The early church did not turn the world upside down on their own. They had God. And they prayed as if it really mattered. If we're going to have an impact on the people around us, then we must begin on our knees. We must pray like we have never prayed before. We must give ourselves fully and completely to prayer. Many of us are living an ordinary, average life. And we desperately want something more. We want a life that is extraordinary. The followers of Jesus at the beginning of Acts were ordinary, common people. They had regular jobs and regular lives. However, by the end of the book, their lives were anything but ordinary. They were living lives that could only be described as extraordinary. If you're looking for something more, If you're looking for an abundant life, if you're looking to turn the world upside down, then it begins with a radical vision. It begins with a reordering of your life under the lordship of Jesus. And it begins with a complete devotion to prayer. These three things can lead you places that you have never been before. They will transform your life. They will transform a church. 
they will turn the world upside down. Let's pray. Father, we come before you at this time asking for faith and a vision and a prayer life like these first Christians have. It is our desire to turn our world upside down. We want to influence our community in ways like we have never influenced it before. We want to have the courage and the boldness that we see in the early church. Help us, Father, to have these things. Help us to follow in the footsteps of your Son and be more like him each and every day. We pray this in his name. Amen.